0: Ephesians chapter, chapter five. And let me remind you of what what we're doing. We're taking several months uh, throughout this church year to dig into each of our ten commitments as a church, and we're doing this to reinforce these commitments in our hearts and in our minds. We want to secure the foundation of this church for the next decade, the next quarter century. What are our commitments? What are, what are we committed to as a local church? Our ten commitments include a commitment to expository preaching, biblical theology, biblical leadership, God-centered worship, authentic fellowship, personal evangelism, community ministry, Global mission, personal holiness, and genuine love. Now so far we've already looked at our commitment to authentic fellowship as we talked about our small groups and began that and I am thrilled with how well our groups have started and the potential through those groups for big things to happen for us as a church, not only in the area of fellowship but in the way of ministry and evangelism. We've also spent the last several Sunday nights looking at the subject of worship and our commitment to God-centered worship. And so the next commitment that we move to now is our commitment as a church to personal holiness. And here's how I want to undertake this series. Tonight, I want to preach on the beauty of holiness. I want us to, to remember, I want us to see, I want us to feel why holiness is to be loved, why holiness is to be pursued. I want us to see that holiness is worth fighting for. Yes, without holiness we will not see the Lord. Yes, we must be holy if we are to go to heaven. But even put all that aside, I want us to see that holiness is worth pursuing in and of itself. I want us to see the loveliness and the glory and the beauty of a holy life so that we will hunger and thirst for that. And then, in our next messages, we are going to unpack one great, important, essential, vital means by which we become holy. It's a subject that is all but forgotten in the modern church. And it cannot be forgotten. It must not be forgotten. It is essential to salvation. It's essential to holiness. It's essential to our happiness. It's essential to our intimacy with God. It's essential to our witness to others. So beginning next week, we're going to dive in particularly to the subject of of repentance. Tonight is a prologue. Next week, we jump into the meat of the subject of repentance. You cannot have holiness without repentance. We will never be a godly church. And you will never be a godly Christian without repentance. And I think it will be a very timely subject for us. I think it's always a timely subject for us to look at repentance. But let's begin tonight by remembering just how wonderful holiness truly is. Because the more our hearts are captivated by the beauty of holiness, the more we will pursue it and cherish it, and honor it in our lives and in the lives of others. And there were so many passages that I could point us to to show the beauty of holiness, but I just chose one. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. It's a passage written specifically to husbands, teaching husbands to love their wives. But in these verses, Jesus is is given to husbands as the greatest example of what a husband should be. We learn here that Jesus is preparing for himself a bride, a bride that will be fit for him, as Eve was made fit for Adam. Jesus is preparing his bride for a great wedding day to come, and he's making his bride beautiful. The bride of Christ will shine with glory on their wedding day. The bride of Christ will be radiant. She will be breathtaking to behold. And what will be the beauty of Christ's bride on her wedding day? It will be the beauty of holiness. Let's begin reading verse 25. Verse 25 of Ephesians 5. and without blemish. Jesus is going to present the church to Himself in splendor. What will this splendor be? It will be the splendor of a people who are holy and without blemish. Friends, holiness is what Jesus finds beautiful. And if holiness is what causes Christ To rejoice should it not cause us to rejoice? And if holiness is what Christ adores, should holiness not be what we adore? Let me begin this way. Do you find holiness beautiful? Is holiness beautiful to you the way it is to your Savior? Is a godly life the thing that you're after? Is it attractive to you? Is it what you want? Is it what you want for the people you care about in your life? That they be holy. So here's my doctrine from this, from this text. Holiness is beautiful. That's the doctrine. Three words. Holiness is beautiful. And I simply want to unpack that and help us see a little bit of what Christ sees. I want us to to resonate with the heart of Christ tonight. Why does He find holiness so beautiful? And so I want to give you some intrinsic aspects of beauty. What makes this beauty beautiful? what, What makes holiness so lovely? And then I'm going to present some further truths about the beauty of holiness. So let's begin with the intrinsic aspects of the beauty of holiness. There are five... Hear these, think about them, let them woo your heart into the pursuit of holiness. Number one, the beauty of holiness includes the beauty of orderly affections. The beauty of orderly affections. Remember, that word affections refers to our love life. That which we love. What do we love? Our affections are our emotions and our heart and our mind loving something. And your affections can either be properly ordered or your affections can be out of order. Here's what I mean. Imagine that someone in your family comes to you and gives you a wadded up piece of newspaper. And they're grinning as they give it to you. And with a smile on their face, they say, Open it up. As you open it up, you find inside that newspaper wrapping a family heirloom. This is something that's been passed down in your family for generations. Maybe it's a piece of jewelry like a wedding ring worn by your great-great-grandmother. Maybe it's a war medal earned by someone in your family a long, long time ago. This heirloom has been entrusted to others and now it's being given to you. Now imagine that after your family member tells you the history and the meaning and the significance of this item, you throw it to the floor and you pick up that that wad of newspaper that it was wrapped in and you're overjoyed, and you keep telling your family member, thank you, thank you, I love it, it's the best piece of newspaper I've ever seen. You step right on top of the heirloom, you don't even care about it, you, you rush to find a nice frame to hang that scrap of newspaper. What would we say about you if you did that? Wouldn't we say you're probably off your rocker? not seeing things aright. Your affections are all screwy. What you should have loved, what you should have been grateful for, what you should have adored, you disregarded. And that which is not worthy of your love, that which is not worthy of your affection, you've given your greater love and your, a greater affection too. Your love priorities are out of whack you're loving the wrong thing. This is what we call disordered affections. It's, it's loving something out of order, not in its proper place. There is something very beautiful to us and to God about proper order. Just think about a clean room versus an, an unclean room. right? Most of us would prefer a clean room. God commanded His churches to to operate with decency and order. Order is attractive to God, and things in their proper place tend to be attractive to us. But the fall has completely disordered our affections and priorities. Natural man tends to value the lesser and disregard the greater. Have you ever noticed that? We see this today with people who are passionate about saving the wells, disregarding human life. We see it in people who love themselves more than God, which we're all prone to. We see it in ourselves as we sometimes find ourselves cherishing God's gifts more than we cherish Him. Loving God's gifts more than the giver Himself. How often do we meet people who are absolutely passionate about sports or entertainment or something else and they use God's name in vain a hundred times as they talk to us about this thing they love? Why? Because what they have regard for is all mixed up. To those with eyes to see, it's ugly. You keep using the Lord's name in vain. You're disregarding God. But The heart of a natural man is like a disordered room. Things are not in their proper place. Don't you dare disregard my favorite team. But I'll use the Lord's name in vain ten times. Dear friends, as we grow in holiness, something wonderful happens. Our affections are put in order. The room of our heart is cleaned up. Things begin to be put in their proper place. God is put above all. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, and then putting other people underneath Him. Love your neighbor as yourself. Philippians says, count others more significant than yourself. Friends, a holy life is a life that regards God above all things, esteems God above all, values God above all, cherishes God above all, then values people created in God's image. This person will value God's word. This person will value God's truth. And the holy person can still love baseball or a new dress or a warm brownie. But these things are all loved in their proper place. As we become holy, we stop making idols out of everything. Things begin to be kept where they should be in our hearts. And when you see it in someone, it's a beautiful thing. It's attractive to Christ. And it's attractive to us with eyes to see. Number two, the beauty of holiness includes the beauty of harmonious attributes. Harmonious attributes. Harmonious attributes. Beauty is not just found in good and proper order. Beauty is also found in harmony and in symmetry. So singing the right notes in the right order is beautiful, right? We want to try and sing the right notes in the right order. But when you get different notes sung together in harmony, complementing one another, balancing one another... There's something even more beautiful about that. One of the great characteristics of our God is the harmony of His attributes. Our God is just, He's fair, He's always upholding righteousness, and He's gracious, and He's merciful, and He is forgiving. Our God is is strong, and yet He makes Himself weak for us. Revelation 5, 5 and 6, Christ is described both as the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He is just like a fierce lion and at the exact same time, Jesus is a meek lamb. These attributes exist within God in perfect harmony, never conflicting with one another. Jesus is the lamb-like lion and he's the lion-like lamb. And as we grow in holiness, that same kind of harmony begins to develop in us. We begin to see there's there's a time for patience. And there's a time when being patient would be sinful. There there is a time for, for standing up for justice and righteousness. And there's a time for forgiveness and for mercy. These things begin to develop in us the way they are in our God. And it is Beautiful. Number three. The beauty of holiness includes the beauty of unbroken consistency. Unbroken consistency. Unbroken consistency. Consistency. We all know the moral ugliness of hypocrisy. Right? We've all known what it is to be duped. To be deceived, to be betrayed by someone. There is something that we find deeply grotesque about a person who claims to be one thing but is actually another. There's something deeply twisted about a person who promises to do one thing but then goes and does the opposite. There is perversion, there is ugliness in the person who preaches one thing to others but practices the opposite himself. We are constantly learning about the hypocrisy of our politicians. Every day we hear about hypocrisy among church leaders. But dear friends, as we pursue holiness, what we're pursuing is a consistent life. We're pursuing the beauty of a person who believes, feels, thinks, and does what is good and right. They are faithful through and through like their God. Our God never claims to be one thing and then does the other. Romans 3, 4, let God be true though everyone else were a liar. In other words, every other person on planet earth will be wrong before God says something that He doesn't follow through on. Here is part of the beauty of holiness. A holy person is consistent. His life matches his doctrine. Her words match her actions. Isn't that what we want? A holy life is a bona fide life. It's it's not playing. It's not pretending. It's not putting on a show. The difference between a holy person and an unholy person is the difference between real gold and fool's gold. Back in earlier days, a potter or a sculptor might make a mistake in his work. And rather than fix the mistake, if he was an unscrupulous workman, he might use wax to hide the mistake. The problem, of course, is that while that would suffice when the item was being sold, let that item begin to get warm and the wax would melt and the mistake would be revealed the person who bought the object was deceived. And that's why some sellers began to declare on their items sine sirah. Sine without sira wax. Without wax. They were saying to people who bought their pottery, you can count on it. There's no mistakes. We're not hiding anything with wax. That's where we get our word sincere and sincerely sine and sin- Sincere. A sincere person is a person without wax. They're authentic. They're honest. They are what you see them as. There is unbroken consistency. Hypocrisy is ugly to us. But faithfulness, consistency is beautiful. Number four. The beauty of holiness includes the beauty of unblemished purity. The beauty of unblemished purity. And so I'm going to ask you to do something, and just take my word for it. That's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. So just close your eyes for a moment. I promise I won't make faces at you or do anything while, you're, while your eyes are closed. And I want you to picture in your mind's eye a beautiful face. Picture the most beautiful face you can think of. This face is full of symmetry. The eyes and the nose and the ears are all in proper proportion. This face is, is beautiful. Now in your mind's eye, add a giant pus-filled pimple right in the middle of that face. It's just oozing out. What happened? You can open your eyes. Isn't there something about a blemish that messes up the picture? Right? The beauty of holiness is that it is without spot. The beauty of of Christ is that He wasn't mostly holy. He was without blemish. Our verse says that Jesus is going to present His bride, you and me, to Himself without spot or wrinkle. That we will be without blemish. Now, we cannot be without blemish in this life. But the more we grow in holiness, the less obvious our sins should be. In other words, we're striving to live the kind of life where people really have to look hard to see the sin in us. Why do they have to look really hard? Because our general character is one of purity. We're not allowing ourselves to participate in activities or attitudes that we know are wrong. As we grow in holiness, we put to death the most obvious sins in our lives so that even we are having to put ourselves in self-examination before God to see the sin in us. And others have to look hard too. The beauty of holiness is that we ought to be people that the Bible would call blameless. doesn't mean there's no sin, but it means there's no obvious sin. We are generally characterized by purity. And there will be a day when we will be through and through clean. And without spot. It's the beauty of unblemished purity. And then, number five, the beauty of holiness includes the beauty of spiritual healthiness. The beauty of spiritual healthiness. And I don't have to tell you that there is something beautiful about good health. When God describes the sinful person, The person living in wickedness and rebellion, he describes that person as unhealthy and unsound. So so listen to how sinful, rebellious Israel was described by Isaiah in Isaiah 1, 5, and 6. God says this: Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it. There are bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed or bound up or softened with oil. When God describes someone who is sinful, wicked, evil in His sight, He describes them as unhealthy. The opposite of this is true for the person living in holiness. Holiness and healthiness go together. No one is more alive, and no one is more healthy than God Himself. And He is the Holy, Holy, Holy One. Where there is perfect holiness, there is perfect, unending, immortal health. In heaven, when you are perfectly holy, you will also be perfectly healthy. In this life, even as these bodies of ours wither away, Holiness has a way of making us inwardly strong and healthy and sound. I have met 70, 80, and 90-year-old people who are physically deteriorating, but inside they are very strong. Inside them there is a fire of spiritual vibrancy, a passion for God and for God's people and the work of the church and the salvation of the lost. There are some beautiful 70, 80, 90-year-old people in the church of Christ. They have gentle spirits. They have care and concern for others. They have strong faith beating in their chests. They may not even be, be well enough to get out of their beds, but the devil trembles before them because they're strong in faith. A holy life makes us inwardly healthy, strong, firm, so that even the demons shudder before our prayers. There are many senior adults who maybe outwardly their bodies are falling apart, but inwardly they are like the California redwood trees, mighty of spirit, able to withstand much, standing tall for the glory of Christ. So what does the beauty of holiness include? Well, A lot of things could be said, but orderly affections, harmonious attributes, unbroken consistency, unblemished purity, spiritual healthiness. Now, let me give you six more biblical truths about holiness that I hope will help you to see its beauty. Number one the beauty of holiness is the beauty of God. The beauty of holiness is the beauty of God. Exodus 15, verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? When we speak of the majesty of God, when we speak of God's splendor, His beauty, His glory, what are we referring to? Primarily, we're referring to His holiness. We are referring to the the perfect purity of God's nature and character. Friends, there are many things in this world that are beautiful. To look out over the ocean, to stand atop Grandfather Mountain, and to look out over the landscape, that can be beautiful. But all natural beauty pales in comparison to the awesome beauty of God Himself. We are speaking here of a grandeur that the fallen mind cannot even grasp. God is beauty par excellence. And yet as we pursue holiness and grow in holiness, we begin to show the family resemblance. Like father, like son, like father, like daughters. We are sons and daughters of God. And as we grow in holiness, we we reflect more and more the majesty, the splendor, the beauty of our God. We are the light of His beauty shining forth in this dark world. We read in John 1, in our Gospel of John group, that people saw the glory of God when Jesus came to earth. Did Jesus walk around with a glow? Did Jesus walk around as a bright light from whom people had... No. What was the glory of God that people saw as Jesus was walking around? It was His holy life. It was His perfect teaching. It was His compassion and care. It was His love for the weak and His wounded. It was His willingness to stand up against the oppressors and the the Pharisees. It was His holiness that was the beauty of God that was shining forth as a light in this world. And as we become holy, that's, that's what's happening in us. We're a city on a hill. We're a light on a stand. Number two. The beauty of holiness is more than skin deep. It is more than skin deep. In other words, I want us to see the difference between physical beauty and the depths of spiritual beauty. Physical beauty, as wonderful as it is, is not very deep. It often does not captivate people for very long. People begin to take it for granted. I think about this even with the beauty of ocean. Uh, When in my teen years I lived in Panama City Beach, Florida, nobody in Panama City Beach, Florida ever goes to the beach. They've, They've just seen it a thousand times. When they start talking about the wonders of God's creation, they think of the mountains, right? When they when they go on vacation, where do they go? They go to the mountains, right? People lose the luster of something once they've seen it enough times. We moved from Panama City, Florida to the foothills of the mountains in Georgia. People there, they didn't care about the mountains. I had a mountain right across the street from our house. We never noticed it, right? Everybody there went to the beach on vacation to behold the wonders of God's creation. Think about those people who drive by Niagara Falls every day on their way to work. Or those people who have seen the Grand Canyon hundreds of times in their lives because it's just a few miles away. Those people would still say, oh yeah, it's beautiful, it's beautiful, but they're not captivated by it. Physical beauty has a way of of getting old. But not the beauty of holiness. Does love ever get old? Does kindness and compassion and patience ever get old? There is a depth to spiritual beauty, the beauty of holiness, that other beauty just doesn't have. There is a power to spiritual beauty that physical beauty cannot compete with. We all know that there are people in this world who outwardly are very attractive and they are horrid on the inside. There are people like that. And there are people who outwardly are very unattractive, inwardly. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. Because the very character of God is being formed in them. In the long run, which beauty is going to bring more joy and satisfaction and happiness to your life? The beauty of holiness has a way of blessing you and blessing you and blessing you long after physical beauty has given out and given way. And thus Peter says to Christian ladies, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing you wear. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. In those two verses, Peter seeks to grab the attention of ladies and wants to point them away from external adornments to the beauty that really matters. The beauty of one's character. Proverbs eleven twenty two: Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Pigs are ugly. We all agree on that? Anybody want to go against that? I Now, I've seen some baby pigs that were kind of cute. I know, so. Babe, that movie Babe. That was kind of cute. Okay, but... Think of a big, muddy, you know, gross pig. Putting a gold ring in that pig's snout does not remove the pigliness of the pig. right? It doesn't change the fact that it's ugly. And so also, Peter is saying, "It doesn't matter what you put on your body outwardly, if inwardly, you're ugly. If inwardly, you're grotesque. He says, "Here's where true beauty lies in the heart." Pursue holiness, beauty in the heart. Third, the beauty of holiness is abiding. It's abiding. Physical beauty here today, gone tomorrow. Physical beauty, it's fleeting. Even the Grand Canyon is going to be burnt up one day when this earth is consumed in fire. Now, I have secret hopes that maybe on the new earth, it will return even more glorious. I don't know. It might. Maybe there will be a grander canyon. I don't know. We will, we will find out. But even the Grand Canyon as it is today will one day cease to exist. All physical beauty fades. Spiritual beauty never does. The holiness that you obtained by God's grace today will be with you for all eternity. You will never lose it. It will never fade. It will only shine brighter and purer, right? As we age, the physical beauty that some of us had when, when we were younger, I'm not putting myself in that category, but some of you had great physical beauty, and I won't tell which ones I think, but there were, some of you had physical beauty when you were younger, and as you're, you're getting older, you're seeing that physical beauty begin to, to fade. But spiritual beauty does the opposite. As you grow in holiness, the older you get, the shiner and the purer and the better, It gets. Number four, the beauty of holiness is unattractive to the wicked. It's unattractive to the wicked. One of the most common descriptions of the wicked in the Bible is this they're blind. They're blind. They don't see real beauty. Isaiah 42 says that Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind. And he doesn't mean that he just came to heal people who were physically blind. He means that we're a world of spiritually blind people who don't know our up from our down, our good from our right, our beautiful from our ugly. And Jesus comes and he opens people's eyes so that we realize, whoa, here's true beauty. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is beauty. Those who are still lost, those that you work with and live with, those that you encounter every day who are still unbelievers, they're going to have a tendency to call evil good and good evil. They're going to have a tendency to value and treasure things that are way out of proportion and that are inappropriate for them to be valuing and treasuring. They, they don't call beautiful what they should Honesty will seem unhelpful and repulsive to a greedy heart. Sexual purity will be deemed unattractive to the to the self-indulgent lusting heart. But to those who are godly, beauty will be the beauty of holiness will be attractive. To those who are wicked and lost, the beauty of holiness will be unattractive. Young people in here, hear this. Growing in holiness will protect you as you seek a spouse. If you grow in holiness, you will be unattractive to the very kind of people you want to be unattractive to. That's just the truth of it. And if you're growing in holiness, you will be beautiful to the very kind of people you want to be beautiful to. Number five. The beauty of holiness is attractive to the godly. It is attractive to the godly. What are the godly called to think upon? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on, cherish, love, adore, set your mind upon, value these things. The godly are to love those things that are true and honorable. And this will happen as we grow in holiness. The more we grow in holiness, the more lovely holiness becomes to us. And so young people, as you seek a spouse, the more you grow in holiness, the more likely it is that godly people will be attracted to you. If you want a godly spouse, don't try so hard to make yourself outwardly attractive. Work on the heart. And finally, number six. Number six, the beauty of holiness is a tremendous blessing to all. The beauty of holiness is a tremendous blessing to all. Holiness is never just about you. If you're holy, it will affect others for good. Our God is holy, 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 and He is the fountain of never-ending blessing. If you want to be a blessing on those you love, If you want to be a blessing on those you encounter, here's how you do it. Grow in holiness. Pursue holiness. Pursue the character of Christ. Pursue those those attributes that describe how your Father relates to you. And if you walk in holiness, the ripple effects will bring blessing on people in your life. It will be even unintentional. You'll just be living your life of following Jesus and you'll start hearing about how God used that word you said, that attitude you had, that example you set to bless other people. You weren't even trying to bless them. But God used your faithfulness in following Christ to bless people. How do we grow in holiness? By living in light of the gospel, by trusting in Christ, and then in faith, learning from Jesus, being doers of His word. And so what we want to do as a church is we want to trust our Lord, we want to obey our Lord, And we want to walk in holiness. One key aspect of that is repentance. And so we'll jump into talking about repentance next week. Let's pray.